It's so good to be together with you this morning. As I look out, I see some visitors, and we are so thankful that you're here. We want to always extend the invitation for you to come back at any and every opportunity that you have. Especially, especially thankful to see uh, Joey Hatter with us. I was watching him from the other side, and I told myself I'd embarrass him. So we're glad to see all of you. We're so thankful for each one. As we begin in our lesson this morning, I'd encourage you, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 14. The entirety of the lesson will be going back and forth and focusing on Matthew chapter 14 as we consider the words of Peter as he looked up and he says, Lord, save me. We'll be considering the topic, keeping your eyes on Jesus. You know, as we begin in Matthew chapter 14, I want you to have a little context, a little bit of what's going on here. There at the very beginning of John chapter 14, we have John the Baptist, someone that was very special to Jesus, one that, that prepared the way for Christ. And we see that he was beheaded. His life was taken. The king against what is right, went in and because he was trying to, to please someone, chooses to have him beheaded. That brings us to the point where Jesus hears word and he's crushed and he wants to get away. You know, there's times in life that I feel like I just want to get away. You know, a lot of times I love to be around people. You know, almost every opportunity in my life, I want to be around people. I can't stand to be alone. But there have been times in my life that when things are terrible and life hurts, you just want to be alone. And so we find Jesus loses his, his friend, the, the one that prepared the way for him, John the Baptist. And you find that he wants to get away, and so he sets off the sea and goes to the other side of shore. But the problem is these people know about Jesus and so the multitudes follow. They go around because they want to see more of Jesus. Jesus goes to spend time alone and here the crowds come. All right. Right after that we see that Jesus teaches them. He feeds them. And once again he sends his disciples. He says, all right, you all go over to the other side. And Jesus is finally going to have his time alone as he considers and prays and ponders the death that John the Baptist just experienced. Possibly he was thinking about the death that he would experience, that he would have to, that he would have to bear. And then we get to the beginning of our story. Jesus has sent his disciples in the boat and he says you all go over to the other side and we see Jesus desiring still to be alone in verse 23 it says and when he had sent the multitudes away he went up on the mountain by himself to pray now when the evening came he was alone there so we've got the beginning of the story we've got Jesus and he's he's come to a point now that he was able to have a little time to himself he was able to pray and so begins the story. Matthew chapter 14, I want you to consider when life is contrary, when things aren't going your way, when life seems to get you down. Notice in verse 24, it says, But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, 
tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. We find the disciples, as they've went out, they get to the middle of the sea, the sea being about seven miles wide at the widest point. And he says they get out into the midst, out into the middle of the sea. Have you ever been somewhere where you're trying to accomplish something and it just seems like you're spinning your tires? Growing up, I used to love to ride four-wheelers, and there was a lot of times that I chose the biggest hole, and I got down in it, and I'll tell you what, it seemed like all I could do was spin my tires. Have you ever been out at the sea, and the, the current is rushing out, and you try and swim against the current? Well, we find the, the disciples, they go out to sea, and they paddle, and they paddle, and they paddle, and they paddle, and it's like, we're not getting anywhere. Have you ever felt what, like life just isn't going as you hope? You know, a lot of people say when it rains, it pours. It's like if you get sick, then you find out that you break your leg too. And in the midst of your sickness and your broken leg, then you find out one of your loved one's eyes. It seems as though when life goes bad, it always gets, it seems to be continually worse. So in... Matthew chapter 14 and verse 24, we find the disciples when, when it's contrary. The storm is against them and they just feel like life ain't going right. Think of, Matthew, uh, think of Job chapter 5 and verse 7 where it says, Yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Part of that being within man, man chooses to sin and they create all kinds of problems in their life. What, do you say? what we see though is trouble comes. You know, in Psalm chapter 46 and verse 1, we've got hope, though. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. I think also of Psalm chapter 50, 50 and verse 15, it says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you. And he says, And you shall glorify me. When you think about troubles, understand that we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. Now, if you go back and notice in verse 25, in verse 25 it says, Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. The disciples are about three or four miles out. So in John chapter 6 and verse 19, which is uh, a parallel passage, it actually says that they rode, if you're reading the New King James Version, it says three or four miles out, which fits real perfect with the seven mile wide area. So they're about three or four miles out, the midst of the sea, and it's like they've been rowing and they're not getting anywhere. You know, Mark chapter 6 and verse 48 is also another parallel passage. And in Mark 6, it gives a little more light. It says in verse 48, it says, Then he saw them straining at rowing. Did you catch that? Jesus, as he is praying or coming down from praying, it says he sees them straining at rowing. Now, I've always believed that I had very good eyesight. Growing up as a young boy, I always looked far off and to see the smallest numbers, and I wanted to be able to read them before you could. Now, I'll tell you what. With my good eyesight, at three or four miles out, I am still not going to see you. I want you to understand something about Jesus here. Jesus is ever watchful. When his disciples were struggling at three or four miles out, Jesus was watching and when life is hurting for you, I promise you, 
Jesus is watching. He's ever watchful. As you think about Jesus, I think you understand the miraculous side where Jesus recognizes and sees his disciples straining as they fight the storm. Now, when you look at this, it says the fourth watch. When you look at their, their time, this, the fourth watch of the night would have been between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. It's a time that I normally don't see. I see that time about once a year, and it's on New Year's when the kids require me to have a lock-in. Outside of that, I don't want to see it. Three and six, neither one are for me. And nowhere in between. So we've got something late at night. Jesus is still up. He's been praying. He's been hurt, and he's not sleeping. We find Jesus that is still awake and is still watching. I want to encourage you to understand that no matter what is going on, no matter what the time, no matter where you are, Jesus is watchful. So we see first that life can be contrary. Even for the disciples, life was contrary. It was against them. But Jesus was watchful. And then we see Jesus is coming. In verse 26 and 27. We see Jesus goes to them walking on the sea in verse 25. And in verse 26, it says, When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. And immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I do not be afraid. Jesus brings cheer. He's a comforter. Christ brings comfort to them. There is no greater comforter than that of God. There is no greater comforter than the one or the comfort that Christ can bring. You know, I think of Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9 in our class upstairs. Uh, we've studied Joshua a lot here recently. As you look at Joshua, a great leader, uh, he was told in 1 and verse 9, it says, Have I not com commanded you, be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord goes with you wherever you go. The Lord is with you wherever you go. No matter what troubles and problems come in life, don't be afraid. You know, in Isaiah chapter 43, the first part of verse 1 there says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You're a special person. We are one that Christ cares about deeply. Then I think in the New Testament, as you think about Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, it says, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry, don't be bothered, but be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer, in supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Don't be worried. Don't be, don't be cast down because there's comfort in God. He said, let your request be made known unto God. When I think about life going bad, I think that there's an important part in which we look to the comforter. Jesus brings them cheer. He says, don't you be afraid, it is I. In the midst of problems, in the midst of fear, understand that Christ is near. All right, now we get into maybe a little more of the meat of the sermon. Look at verse 28 through 30. 
In verse 28 through 30, Jesus bids come. In verse 28, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, this is kind of a predicament. It's a little bit of a conundrum. He says, here's your options. Call to me. Call me to you, excuse me. Or it's not you. If you're really Jesus, you have to call me to come. But look, that's no problem. That's not a big deal at all because Jesus has the power and Jesus understands that he can call. Peter desires proof. Show me you're the Christ. Is the, is the man walking on water not enough? And he says, no, 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 no. You bid me to come to you. And we're going to see the second person walk on water. Verse 29, he says, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Peter wanted proof. You know, they say proof is in the pudding. And I don't want you to get the misconception when you think about Peter, don't get the misconception that he didn't walk on water. As Peter is told to come, Peter gets out of the boat and he begins to walk. He begins to walk on the water. Because the Lord said, come. Because he has faith, because he knows what he ought to do. The proof is provided. In verse 29 at the end, it says, He walked on the water. He didn't step out of the boat and begin to sink. He stepped out of the boat and he began to walk on the water. Jesus was the man on the water. Peter, you've got your proof. But notice in verse 31, I mean verse 30, but when he saw the wind was boisterous, he said, man, it's rough. That wind's blowing really hard. The waves are big. The, the sea is troubled. It's, it's bad out here. He says, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Now, when I first titled this lesson, I said, keeping your eyes on Jesus. But you know, as I study and I, I consider it, I'm not convinced that Peter ever took his eyes off of Jesus. Follow along with me. When you hold up three fingers like this, and I look at you and I say, there, there's, there's Kevin Haddock. All right? Now, in front of me is Kevin Haddock, but between Kevin and me is three fingers. Now, what I'm telling you is, is sometimes there can be something staring you in the face and you fail to see it. You fail to focus on it. From my understanding, I'm not convinced that Peter wasn't looking Jesus in the eyes. And he begins to sink. I'm not convinced that Peter wasn't there directly looking at Christ and you've got all these peripherals. 
And as I look at you, I see the things on the walls beside you. As I look at you, I see the people around you, and I lose focus. I'm not convinced that Peter ever looked away. But you know, all the noise on the outside caught his attention. Everything around him catches his grasp, catches his focus, and even standing there in the presence of Jesus, possibly continuing to look at him. And I doubt that he was looking away when he said, Lord, save me. You know, in the midst of fearing that you're going to lose your life, who are you going to look to? You're going to look to the one that can save you. I have major doubts that as he said, Lord, save me, he turned around and looked to someone else. And yet we see in the face of trouble when, when he had Jesus Christ right in front of him, after walking on the water, he begins to falter. I want to ask you, as Peter stood there, or sank there, with Jesus right in front of him, my question this morning is, do we lose focus? I think it's so easy to get distracted. You know, the outside noise, the waves and the wind, the sea as it's rumbling and it's tumultuous. We see all the fear that comes in from the outside noise. Well, I think about our world. You watch the media. You watch television as, as it's so much worse than what I remember as a kid. You hear the mouths of people around you as they say any number of bad things. Bad language, bad jokes. They might even use proper words, but still it's, it's immoral in the scope. As you hear the noise on the outside, you've got all these people that use any type of political move that they can to better themselves. And you see the outside noise and the question is, do we ever, like Peter, get caught up in the noise? Do we get overcome by the waves where we lose focus on Christ? I want to tell you about some real focus. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, first he's talking about our focus and then he takes it to Jesus' Jesus's focus. But in, he, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, it says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Okay, notice who for the joy that was set before him, Jesus understanding the focus of something that's much greater, chose to go to the cross. He said, because of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. He chose to go through with it because he was focused on something better. And do you know what the verse is telling us at the beginning? It says, be focused, looking unto Jesus. The beginning and the end of our faith. The, 
the sum of our faith, everything of our faith, it's Jesus. And it says, keep looking at Jesus. I want to ask you today, is your focus on Christ? I don't want to ask if you're looking at Christ. I want to ask if you're focusing on Christ. If that's not where your focus is, I want to tell you, be worried. Be scared. Because there's only one focus that provides that hope. You know, in verse 30, we see the lost focus. He takes his eyes off Jesus or he takes his focus off Jesus and he begins to sink. I think of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 in regards to our life. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That you'll be able to overcome his tricks. The trickery that the devil has, that Satan has, is he's going to, to tempt us and he's going to use the outside noise to get you to quit focusing on heaven, to quit focusing on Christ. Notice the proof was provided. When Peter asked, him to come, asked the Lord to bid him to come, Jesus says, come. In the midst of... Of life being contrary, when life gets bad, notice that Jesus was watching. Jesus brought cheer and Jesus bid come. He said, come on, Peter. And even after all that, his faith wavered. I encourage you, hold your focus. Now the question still is relayed, what about us? Have we lost focus, is there still hope? What do I do now because I've lost my focus? Well, look at verse 31. At the beginning, I wanted the pivotal moment to be verse 30. But as I read verse 31, I think there's something super important. It says, and immediately Jesus stretched out his, sorry, verse 30, at the very end, he cries out saying, Lord, save me. He said, Lord, save me. Understand that sometimes we need to humble ourselves to where we understand we messed up, we can't do it, we're not going to make it alone. And that's where Peter was. He's sinking in the water knowing he's going to die and he said, Lord, save me because I can't do it. Do you understand he lost faith, but he humbled himself. He said, I can't do this. I need you. And I'm afraid sometimes as human beings, it's against our nature. It's against our design. We're too proud to say, Lord, save me. Do you understand me? We believe we've got it. I don't need Jesus. I've got this. I can make plenty of money in the world. I can do whatever I want. I'll make my own decisions. I don't need Jesus. I can live any old way I want. I've been doing it the last 30 years this way. I can live any way I want. I've made it just fine without Jesus. Why do I need him now? The world's got a problem. And I'm afraid sometimes it creeps into Christians because we're too proud to say, Lord, save me. 
Sometimes we say, you know, my sin was too great. Can't go back now. Jesus can't save me. I'm too bad of a person. Well, the problem is you doubt Jesus and you doubt the power in His blood. People say it's too late. You know, I've lived 70 years. I was a bad person for a long time. It's too late now. Do you have breath? Then humble yourself and say, Lord, save me. Well, I'll bring it a little closer to home. So we talk about evangelism and the, the purpose of Christianity. Sometimes I wonder if me, myself, as a Christian, do I not just grasp, do I not understand the importance to the world of how important Jesus is? I mean, I don't see me running around down the street and capturing everybody I know and saying, wait, 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 wait. Let me tell you that you need Jesus. Let me tell you why you need Jesus. Sometimes I wonder if if our faith, or maybe my faith, isn't strong enough because I'm not dedicated enough to make sure every person I ever meet understands the importance of heaven. Do we grow weary in well-doing? Do we forget that Jesus is coming back, that this earth is going to be destroyed, that there's going to be nothing else, and we have heaven to hope for? But it's on us to tell the world. And if we don't do it, no one will. You know, sometimes I'm afraid that we just don't understand the urgency. And when I say we, what I'm saying is me. If I could really fathom how important it was, I believe we would spend a lot more time trying a lot harder with every person. All right, Jesus catches. When faith began to waver, understand Jesus was there. In James chapter 4 and verse 10, it says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Remember Peter? He's sinking in the water, and he humbled himself, and he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus, you're all right. Why did your faith waver? Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Put your faith in God. My question this morning is, are we doubting? I believe we should look forward to judgment. I'm not sure we shouldn't look forward to death. Because to die is far better. To go and be with Christ. As you look at Jesus, He called Peter to come out. He, he bid him to come and He said, here's the proof. He brought cheer to the disciples as they're out on the sea as the sea is contrary and it just seems as though nothing is going their way. And the question then comes to us, where is my faith? Do you believe that Jesus can catch you? No matter where you're at in life, if you've still got breath, you've got opportunity. Understand that this rabbit hole that you're beginning to go down into isn't the end because you can still humble yourself and say, Lord, save me. The sin that is pulling, in, pulling at you in life that you're 
You're, you're tempted. You're saying right now, well, should I go this way? Should I try it? It sounds really fun. Understand that it's time to humble yourself and say, Lord, save me. Casting all your cares on Him, for He cares for you. I want you to put your faith in Christ. If you haven't become a member of the church, if you haven't become a member of Christ's body, understand that in Matthew chapter 28, and verse 18, it says, All authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. The authority, the power, the God-given reason for Christ to be here was given to Him by the Father. You know, in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be, listen, blotted out, done away with, forgotten, like they never happened. That's forgiveness. That's Jesus saving them when Peter said, Lord, save me. It was like it never happened. He didn't have to suffer the consequences and sink down into the water and drown right there but rather he humbled himself, and because of that, Christ saves. You know, we must be willing to confess Christ as our Lord. If you're not a member of the church, Christ is the one you have to follow. Romans chapter 10 and verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You're working in the right direction. Willing to confess Christ, but not only do we... Do we want to confess Him? But Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. We see that they've got to be baptized in to Christ. Galatians chapter 3. Whoops. And verse 27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ put on Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's what I want. I want to be a Christian. I want to be part of Christ. Therefore, we're baptized into Christ. We put on Christ and we live for Christ. And that is our step. We continue to live for Him. Now the question, though, still remains, if you are a member of the church and you lose focus, I mean, you could be staring Jesus in the face and you lost focus. Understand that it's not over. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, he's writing to Christians there. And the audience, the, what, they, what they hear is, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As a Christian, we can still be forgiven. If you haven't given your life to Christ, I ask you, why not? And whatever, whatever reason that you've got in your head other than the fact of I don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, even if you believed that, here's what I want to say. Humble yourself. Quit being so stinking proud. 
Quit thinking you can do it alone. Quit thinking you can do anything. It's time to humble yourself. It's time to understand that you need somebody that is greater, that is stronger, that is mightier, that can actually save you. I understand pride. I'm an American as well. I understand it's a big thing. I think it's something we're all worried about. But there's more. We need to humble ourselves to give our lives to Christ. If you are a member of the church and you lost focus, or if you're not a member of the church and you're prepared to humble yourself to give your life to Christ, do it right now as we stand and sing.